Welcome, welcome everyone to the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to check us out on Twitter, you can find our podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how are we doing? Jason, I'm here. I'm here. Um, I, I usually am a, a positive person, but I'm having a hard time with this one. If Brian Bayo did not look as good as he did, which thank goodness he did because he was the only saving grace in this series. I don't know how I would be feeling because I'm trying to just imagine Bayo's start in the future with him because that's the only positivity from this three-game series against Miami. So I'm here. I'm happy to be talking baseball with the two of you, but I don't want to talk the Red Sox. Welcome to the trenches, my friend. Yeah, it's, sometimes it happens. We'll, we'll find a way to dig our way out. Also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how's it going? The Great Depression of Red Sox baseball continues. Dan Shaughnessy, by the way, quote tweeted that. And uh, 200,000 views, I think. <laughs> it was what it... All the haters came out. I got destroyed all night uh, on that one because <laughs> they were like, 86 years, you know, that had to have been it. And I'm like, well, you had Ted Williams. There was a lot of romantic moments in there. And um, I don't know that it was all incompetence, uh, you know. So th this to me in my lifetime. And then I tried and then Carabas chirped me. And I'm like, well, you had, you did have kind of a depression, you know, this century, you know, 2008, the big collapse. But, but to me, I mean, this is brutal. But quick check of the standings, real quick. There's no secret, folks. Red Sox still in last. I think we've been there well over a month now. Two games under 500, five games back from the wild card, 15 games back from the Tampa Bay Rays. Just uh, Tampa, just this might be their year. I'll tell yeah. you what, though. In 1997, and 2003, who thought the Marlins were going to win the World Series? I'm just saying. I am just saying. We didn't think the Nationals were going to win it in 2019. Certainly nobody had the Braves on August 1st, 2021 winning that one. Uh, so... I don't know. It's uh, there's just something magic about that team. Jazz Chisholm, did you see those monster shots he hit out to straightaway center? Just unreal. One of them was off Jansen. Uh, just I don't know. Kind of a fun team to watch. Arise, we didn't really see. He he had a couple of hits, but not uh, you know, wasn't spectacular. I was hoping to see a little bit more magic out of him, but. Yeah, that, that's the surprising part. They got swept by the Marlins, and they somehow pretty much contained Luisa Rice for the most part. But you're right. They've got some good young pieces on that team. Chisholm is is a stud. Um, now that he's back healthy, he's going to help them a lot. They're a fun team to watch. And as far as the Red Sox, we were talking off the air before we came on. You know, the American League is just such garbage that 
if the Red Sox just went on a run, they just went on one run, you know, winning seven out of eight or something like that. They could be right in one of those wild card spots. They're just not doing it. They're not doing it. And it's mostly offense driven. There's some pitching performances that have us a little concerned, but we'll cover all of it in our, our usual midweek bottom five. Again, just another awful series here for the midweek show, but we're kind of getting used to it at this point. So it is the bottom five. So leading us off in the five hole, Terry, who do we got? We are going with the middle infield prospect that was called up, uh, I don't know, a little over a week ago, David Hamilton. Expectations for him weren't high. He wasn't this highly touted guy. Which trade did we get him in, by the way? I think that was, that the, was the, uh, the Renfro trade. Renfro trade, yes. Yeah. So He came along with Jackie Bradley. And... Uh, I don't even know where Alex Pinellas is anymore. He was supposed to be the prize of that trade. But anyway, Hamilton projects out to be, you know, this utility, uh, you know, middle infield guy and uh, wasn't wasn't really a great series for him. Uh, basically just one for six. Um, and then not very fluid uh, as a shortstop, as it turned out. I mean, he spiked a bunch of balls into the ground which you know couldn't be fielded uh by the first baseman um tonight you know a weird i don't it was a chopper hit to a royal he couldn't come up with it it lands in hamilton's glove but then he can't do the transfer it just comes flying out on the transfer just looks like a fish out of water. I don't know if it's just, you know, if the moment's too big for him right now, you know, in his earliest stages uh, as a big leaguer. Maybe it's a product of a very chaotic, you know, environment where things aren't going well as a whole for the team. I mean, this is a tough time to be called up. <laughs> if you're a Red Sox prospect, you know, it's better off if the team's winning or if it's after the trade deadline and you've sold off Turner and Kike and all these other guys and it's super low pressure. But not not a very good introduction uh, from from Hamilton. Micah, thoughts on Ham Hamilton? Yeah, it's difficult to get a read just because um, it's such a small sample size. Um, but I had tweeted this out, I believe, yesterday. When he makes throws from shortstop, his throwing motion just does not look like a shortstop. It, it's it's a very long motion, um, and it, it looks like he has to put all of his effort in there, into his throw to get it over there, and it's just not accurate. Um, and it, as you said, Terry, it could just be a, a small sample size. Um, but with how awful that position has been um and the expectations of somebody has to stop the bleeding with all of the errors at shortstop it just continues and that puts a lot of pressure on him um i don't know if it would be as glaring uh, of an issue if if it wasn't for kike throwing 700 balls away at shortstop and you know just the other other people who have been over there that just have struggled um but Red Sox fans are sick of seeing throwing errors, um, but it also doesn't help. You know, you have a young player. It does not help that Casas is not good at first base right now. 
You know, he you don't have a first baseman who can, you know, pick one out of the dirt for you and save you. You know, and we saw today with Turner, we'll get to him, but he's not going to do it either. So you don't have a first baseman that can, you know, save an error or two. And it's just a bad combination. And we just continue to see a Red Sox defense that um, it's kind of the Heimblum trademark in terms of this is the defense we've seen. And it just, it's shocking for a guy who, you know, the, it claims to be this analytics guy. How do you completely ignore the defense? I, I just, that to me, like, it just doesn't mesh. Analytics and defense go hand in hand, and the Red Sox just, they're not using analytics and defense because the defense would not be this bad if they were. That's, that's just, it's, it's, it's almost historically bad how bad they've been for the last four years. And it's just, I don't know how Improves. I think it's going to be like this for the rest, remainder of the year, maybe three. I mean, I, you would think a guy coming back from Tommy John surgery probably is going to have some throwing errors. You would kind of expect that. So I just feel like the defense is going to continue, and it's just it's going to drive Red Sox fans nuts until the end of the um, end of the season. Yeah, the the point about the first baseman is is a good one because even Millar, you know, on the broadcast at one point sort of ran through all the good defensive first basemen that the Red Sox have had throughout history, you know, Doug Minkiewicz, Mitch Moreland, you know, that was always a position that they, you know, they really dedicated not just to good hitting, but they always had a good glove over there. They don't have that right now. Casas and Turner, they're not going to pick a bad throw. So when you've got Hamilton short hopping throws over there left and right, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, I do feel a little bit for the kid. I, I don't want to be too hard on him because I don't, this is not like a top 10 prospect that people are expecting to turn into like you know ricky henderson he, he's got great speed but not much with the bat you know he's a kind of a slap hitter if anything i think his only real position he can field is second base um i i can't see him playing anywhere else on the field and when i first saw him my, my first impression was boy he's tiny you know he, he's, he's a small kid i'm not surprised that you know he doesn't have great arm strength he's actually bigger than mookie betts Hamilton's 5'10", 188, Mookie's 5'9", 180, and Mookie's got a cannon for an arm and is a phenomenal athlete. Hamilton doesn't look like an athlete to me. Like, he, he's fast. He's he's absolutely got natural speed. But, like, there's not much, like, upper body-wise, he just looks very thin up there. Just the, the jersey, like, you know, looks like it's hanging off of him. It's I just don't think he's a great athlete. I think he's just got some tools, and that's about it. So... Um, but again, he was a low level prospect that you got as part of a package deal and he's being forced into this situation because of injuries and depth problems. And the fact that, you know, we can't trust Kike Hernandez, a almost 10 you know, year veteran or whatever he is to play shortstop. So it's a tough look. Um, it, it's tough to see him struggle out there, but you know, th this is where we, this is where we're at. You got guys like David Hamilton who are not major leaguers, pinch runners, if anything, and they're starting games for you and getting significant time. It's just these results are bound to happen. We don't have a Scoops McGee type first baseman is what we're getting at. And, man, I, you know what thought like creeped into my head? I'm like, man, I think I miss Hanley Ramirez's defense at first. I mean. Remember, he was, I thought he was pretty adequate. But here's the crazy thing. In terms of rankings of 
best defensive um, Red Sox infielders. Let's just go through that list real quick. Number one, Christian Arroyo. I think he's the best defensive infielder we have. He's, you know, he, he only plays maybe one or two out of every three games, not an everyday starter, so that sucks. I think your second best defender, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is Rafi Devers. Fewer fewer errors from him. I mean, he is going to have them, but I think he's your number two. Justin Turner, who we've already said in the last few minutes, not the best, you know, he's he's not going to scoop him all the time at first. And then Casas and Kike. Those are your guys. Now, when Reyes comes off the injured list, he you know, he probably slots in at number two. Yu Chang might be the best infielder we have. But um, who knows when he's coming back. I think they are talking uh, about a rehab assignment here uh, in the near future, but that's pretty bad. <laughs> Arroyo, number one, not an everyday guy. Devers, number two. Micah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that list, which is, like you said, it's shocking. Um, but it, another thing with the, the poor infield defense is they're trying to break in young pitchers, and there's nothing more frustrating for a young pitcher than to just see balls that are either booted or, you know, it, it feels like the, the announcers in the Red Sox games, it, they keep saying, oh, boy, that was a tough big league play. Well, you're a big leaguer. Why don't you make a tough big league play? I don't think fans expect them to make them all of the time, but it seems like every time there's a really challenging play, it's just not made. And it's it, as a as a pitcher, like these guys are trying to get big big league hitters out. You know, pretty much all of them, many of them, for the first time, you know, for a full big league season, you know, at least in the rotation with Whitlock, and it, it just the infield defense is so bad. And you're not helping these guys develop when, you know, they have to work even harder and, you know, they're, they're, they're grinding innings all the way up to 25, 30 pitches. It doesn't help them. And I mean, I just, you feel for the pitchers because they just get no support from the infield defense. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the announce team and look, I, I, I always hammer the Red Sox announce booth. I, I know I, I do it a lot, but it's like, if I have to hear Kevin Millar one more time, say, like, oh, well, that, that's that's a tough play. You know, it, it, nothing you can do about that. That's a tough one. No, it, it's there. Welcome to the big leagues. There are going to be tough plays. Like you said, Micah, like you're a big leaguer. Make the play. It, it's real like it's fundamental stuff, too. Like it's not like, you know, we're not asking them to, you know, lay out for every line drive or, you know, do anything like that. It's just can you feel the ground ball and turn a double play? I mean, they can't even do that right now. And yeah, with guys like Whitlock, Bayo, you know, Hauk, who like, they like to get ground balls. They throw sinkers. They like to get ground balls. For those guys to have to trust this infield defense, yikes. Like I said, apart from Devers, but oof, it, it's rough. Speaking of one of those infielders coming in at number four on our bottom five, Micah, who we got? At number four is Justin Turner. And, um, I'd said a couple of weeks back with Turner this year with the Sox, it has felt like he's had really good series and then really poor series. It doesn't seem like there's really an in-between and Turner was on a crazy hot streak for most of June. So it's hard for me to just crush him in, in this series. Um, but he did go one for 12 um, and against this pitching staff, you know, he's a right-hander. 
Um, so the, the Marlins really were left-handed dominant in terms of the pitchers they were throwing at the Red Sox. You know, you need your righties to, to step up and, and provide some some offensive production because they scored three runs in this entire series. Like, that's not going to get it done against a good Miami team. Um, and you need guys like Turner to, to, to lead the group and one for 12. Um, it's not going to cut it. And uh, like I said, I hate crushing on him because uh, I'm a fan of him, and he's he's really carried the offense in the month of June. Um, you know, the this was the 16th time in the month of June that they scored three runs or less, and that's not because of Justin Turner. Justin Turner's been really, really good. He's probably got, I'd say, 50% of the RBIs this month. So uh, again, it's it's hard to come down on him, but when you're looking for production one for 12 from your, your two hole hitter doesn't help. Um, and then he also had an error in at first base today. And it just, it really put Bayo in a tough spot in the second inning and Bayo made the pitches to get out of it. But um, you know, it's, it, it's just Turner's another example of a guy under Bloom who is playing out of position. Turner's a third baseman or a second baseman, and he's a pretty good third baseman, but he's never really played consistent first base and to put him out there because you don't trust Casas against a, a lefty. Um, not that Casas is better um, against lefties or even defensively, but it just, it, it puts Turner in a, in a spot for, you know, an opportunity for you to kind of go at him for his defense when really he's just out there trying his best. So tough series for Turner. Um, I don't expect it to be uh, anything, an issue moving forward, but it is noticeable when, when the offense scores three runs in the series, you kind of, I mean, you could pick anybody in that, that offense almost, but he did stick out in, in this three game series. Terry. Not really a ton to add. Um, you know, when, when Turner's hot, the, the Red Sox have a, a much better shot to win. And as Micah said, I mean, we're the land of, of misfit toys, you know, just, plugging pieces in all the wrong places and you know we're not firing on all cylinders and um it's just too bad i mean in a perfect world turner would be dhing every day like they originally intended but that's not the world we live in no unfortunately not and yeah, I agree. It, it's tough to tough to rag on Turner too much because for the most part, he's been one of your more consistent performers. And at times when the Red Sox were going well, he was driving the engine. You know, he was really setting the table for Devers and, and all the other guys on the lineup to do damage. When he goes cold, it's it's tough, you know, and you, you hope that if he goes cold, the rest of the lineup kind of picks him up. But that's not that kind of team this year. They're just, you know, it's. Once one guy goes cold, it's like a domino effect, and it ripples through the rest of the lineup. And as far as defensively, I, he's doing what he can at first base. He's made a couple of plays over there, but, yeah, he's been a third baseman, second baseman his whole career. You know, he hasn't had that many reps at first. So, you know, to put him over there because you refuse to play your your star prospect against left-handers, uh, which we'll get to that later, but, you know, to put him over there and to expect it to go well, it's like, again, like – what are you doing? What are you screwing around for? It's just, I don't know. You're asking for it. And Turner will pick it up. You know, he'll, he'll be on, he'll, he'll fig, get it figured out and he'll probably be on a top five list at some point going forward, knowing him. 
Um, blip on the radar kind of series, but definitely not a good one from him. Uh, so moving to number three on the list, we're going to go back to the outfield for this one, and that's going to be Adam Duvall, uh, who has been very, very quiet since coming back from the wrist injury. Um, he's been back for about three weeks now. He went two for 11 in this series, so he did have a couple of hits, but the power hasn't been there. Um, it, it, he hasn't been hitting the ball out of the park. He's, it's, you know, he's been roping a couple of singles, but that's it. And, you know, occasionally he'll draw a walk. Most of the time he's striking out. It's just, he's kind of reverting back to what he's been his whole career. And this is why, you know, when he was still injured and fans were saying, oh, well, just wait till Duvall comes back. Just wait till Duvall comes back. Then they'll pick it up. I said, have you guys not been paying attention to who Adam Duvall is? And what he's been his entire career. Look, he's a good player. He's a very nice, good player to have on your team. This guy was never going to be the savior. He was not going to come back and hit 500 like he did, you know, the first week of, of the season. He was not going to come back and do what he did, the, you know, late in spring training where he's hitting the ball out of the park every other game. That's not who he is. He can run into one for sure. You know, once he gets fully, I think, back to, you know, the, the speed of the game and, and getting more used to that and getting more at bats under his belt. I'm sure he'll start running into more. He'll probably end up with, you know, double digit homers before we know it, but he's not there yet. And the problem is the Red Sox can't afford to really wait for him to get there because they're at a teetering point right now for their season. So it, it's, it's tough on him because, you know, he's just coming back from the injury and he's being asked to shoulder, you know, shoulder the load for an offense that's just petering out left and right. Um, it's a lot to ask for a guy who has never been really a centerpiece player for any offense. You know, he's always been sort of late middle or end of the lineup kind of guy. And he's being asked to, to do a lot. So he'll get healthier. He'll get more at bats. He'll get more used to the, the game speed and facing major league pitching again. But don't expect this guy to, you know, hit 330 homers. That's not who he is. He's a good player, has power, hasn't come back yet, but this this is more like the Adam Duvall that you're going to get the rest of the year. And that's why I just found it amazing that so many Red Sox fans were, you know, just waiting with bated breath. Oh, well, once Duvall comes back, it's going to turn around. Not necessarily. You might just get more performances like this. Terry, thoughts on uh, Duvall? I said late in game two, Duran came off the bench. I forget who he was even pinch hitting for, but on the very first pitch, he rips a ball down the left field line. And I said, Duran just did in the seventh inning what he should have been doing in the first inning, you know, if he was in the starting lineup. And I don't really... I don't really see the need to ride out this Duvall thing. And if I'm Bloom, I might even try to trade him. Go get some other team's Nick Pavetta. Go get that guy so that Caleb Ort doesn't have to open for you every fifth day. There has to be at least a little bit of value with Duvall still. and Or go get a, a better arm in your pen than I don't know <laughs> Richard Blyer you know go get go get a valuable lefty I mean who do we have that's a lefty right now do we even have one Bernardino 
Oh, Bernardino, my bad. Yeah, right. And he is one of our better relievers. Um, Murphy is a lefty as well. Yeah, he uh, didn't have a great outing this time. I, the jury's still out for me on who he really is, but uh, I'm somewhat optimistic. Uh, if they keep him as a reliever, he might be serviceable. I don't want to see him starting. I just don't have a ton of faith there. But, um, but yeah, so I just... And then, you know, you, you we talked about Kike uh, earlier. He could be your backup. If you don't want to start, if you don't want to start Duran on a given night, then put Kike in there. He's going to play a very good center field for you. And Kike's, his bad streaks are, are nowhere near as bad as some other players' bad streaks. I mean, Kike can get a little cold, but it's, it's never brutal, and he does come up big for you. I mean, he he had a what a leadoff hit was it in the ninth inning tonight, or was that the eighth inning? He, late in the game, he he let off the inning, got on base. So you don't want I don't want to see Kike playing the infield anymore. I don't want to see it. But you get rid of Duvall, you know Duran gets to play more, and then the odd time you get the lefty, then fine. Start, start Kike. But I think the Duvall ship has sailed. He could go off for a week and I'm still not going to be, I'm still not going to think we're going to win more games with Duvall than we will with Duran at this point. Duran is a much more dynamic player and that's who I want to see getting the majority of the starts. Could you imagine like a Jacoby Ellsbury coming up in his first season and being blocked by a guy named Duvall? This would have been like 07, but that would have been so tragic. And uh, so that's my take. Uh, the The comeback wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And like Jason said, we, we shouldn't really be that surprised. Like a, Yeah, I feel for Duvall just because he was on fire before he got hurt, and he's just not – he hasn't caught up to to the big league game just yet with his timing, and the pitchers are in midseason form, and he's just – he's struggling. Um, but, Terry, you kind of read my mind there with the Duran call because in Duran's last 15 games, he's hitting 350. Duvall's last 15 games, he's hitting 167. And I know oftentimes, you know, Duran, his splits are a little, um, his splits are a little drastic, but if you never give these young players opportunities against left-handed pitchers, they're not going to improve. And, you know, I'd like to see a guy like Duran get some opportunities with that. I mean, he makes things happen with his legs all the time. Maybe he can draw some walks. This offense is just stagnant right now. They're not doing anything. And I don't know why you wouldn't want him to try to draw some walks, hit the ball on the ground, try to steal some bases. You have to try to manufacture some runs, and they're not doing that. And a guy like Duran can help with that. And I, I just – the Red Sox are two games under five hundred, and I think they're like five games out of the wild card. So if the season is not – if you're not – competing for a playoff spot you're wasting opportunities to develop a guy like duran and give him those opportunities um 
at least against lefties. Let's see what Duran can be. Then now is the time to see it because in, I, I would much rather see the Red Sox know exactly who Jaron Duran is going into the off season than wondering, is he still kind of a platoon guy going into 2024? That's an, that's a, a question that should not be asked going into to the off season. They should know. I feel pretty confident with him righties against lefties. He's probably not going to get a lot of opportunities or I think we can play this guy as an everyday guy. That's a question that needs to be answered in the next three months. And I think they should start now. Um, Terry, you brought up um, about trading Duvall. I have an interesting idea here. Adam Duvall won the world series with the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves probably could use a, a power bat like that. Why not a reunion? How about Ian Anderson? I know he's got time. He's getting Tommy John surgery. He had it in April, but why not acquire a pitcher like that who had crazy success early on? I think he's only 24 years old. Take a flyer on a guy like that. See what happens. But I would be interested in something like that. It's an outside the box idea, but Adam Duvall right now, if he's not providing power, he really doesn't have a value to this team, especially when you have a guy like Duran just sitting on the bench and rotting um, when he, when Duvall's in the lineup. And I think what inevitably is going to happen is if this season keeps trending the way it is and the Red Sox really start to fall out of it and they talk about, you know, well, we're going to be probably sellers. And this was, this was a bridge year anyway. It was only supposed to be a bridge year. Okay, well, then guess what? Adam Duvall doesn't need to play every day. If this, if that's what it's going to turn into, if this is going to turn into a bridge year and you're going to sell, then Jaron Duran has to play every day in center field. Tristan Casas has to play every day at first base. If that's what it's going to be, because otherwise, it, you're right, Micah. It's like, why is Duvall getting more time over Duran when the team's probably not going anywhere this year? So at this point, you should be pretty set on Jaron Duran being your center fielder going forward for the foreseeable future. I think he's proven himself enough. Um, so, yeah, at that point, move to fall. And I, I do like the Ian Anderson idea. Why not? You know, 24 years old, he, he, what he did flash when he first came on the scene. At this point, take a chance. Because I don't know what much else you could get for Duvall. I don't, you're not going to get like a stud reliever or, or a stud prospect because he just hasn't had enough time. So teams are going to look at him and say, well, we're not going to give you much because we're basically banking that he can – get back to form in like two months. And that's, that's a tough ask. So maybe that's the kind of deal they make where they do trade him, And it's more for a guy who's not going to impact your team this year, but maybe next year, you know, going forward. I, I don't hate the idea because I want Duran out there every day at this point. I I'm done with the, the Adam Duvall experiment. You know, Duran has showed me enough. He, he should be the guy. So that, Hopefully they feel the same way. That would be like the most high move ever, though, right? Oh, he had he just had Tommy John, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. Get him. I, and for the record, I would probably do that deal, but but he would be your twenty twenty four, you know, summer, you know, player that you're waiting for, you know, like it was Chris Sale last year, like it's Trevor Story this year. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. So, um, all right, I'm up, aren't I? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Number two. Who we got? 
We will go with the manager, uh, Alex Cora, in the two slot. I'm going to go backwards here. Um, tonight, game three, it was just kind of weird that you pinch run. You send in David Hamilton to pinch run. And then in that very next at bat, Connor Wong pops up a bunt and causes an out. Like why are, if you're putting David Hamilton, who's one of the fastest runners in, in major league baseball, I don't know if he's the fastest, but he did steal 70 bags last year in the minors. So pretty fast. Um, why are you bunting? Like, why would you need, why would you need him to be the runner? Like, as long as it's anybody but Tristan Casas on first base, they're going to get to second on the bunt. So I just, I, maybe Connor Wong did it on his own. I don't know. I find that hard to believe, especially being that he's a catcher. You know, his baseball IQ should be a little bit higher than that. You know, Uh, the guy's either going to steal anyway, you know, but I thought that was weird, so I don't know if that's on Alex Cora or not, but this next thing is definitely, in my opinion, on Alex Cora. Nick Pavetta dealing and uh, was starting to show signs of maybe losing it like Nick Pavetta does. You know, he can be brilliant for the first three innings and then something happens in his brain and it just, everything goes sideways. Um it was starting to rain and he walked two runners. I think there was one out at the time. And then the tarp comes out and Alex Cora's move when the game resumed roughly an hour later was to put Josh Winkowski in the game again with two runners on one out. And Winkowski can't keep the ball in the park. Like everything's going over the fence with him. He's getting slapped around and he didn't look terrible, and there was another defensive blunder. Uh, also, uh, on David Hamilton, I, I probably could have mentioned that uh, earlier when we talked to him. Um, kind of a soft grounder, and uh, Hamilton couldn't come up with it. Overthrew it. Uh, two runs ended up scoring on it. But I just don't get why Winkowski was the guy. The the two moves I, I would have went with, excuse me, if you want to stay conventional, somewhat conventional, go with Brennan Bernardino. He's your best non-eighth inning, not best non-ninth inning guy so far. I mean, he's got an ERA in the low twos. Uh, you could have put him in there in that situation, or you could have went outside the box and put Chris Martin in. And the I is Goofy as it was in the fifth or sixth inning, put Chris Martin in there. Let him hopefully get the the two outs he needed without the runner scoring and at least escape the inning. You know, and I know that's weird, but you you have to be outside the box with this roster, with this rotation, with the bullpen, with the lineup. You have to be outside the box. If you stay inside the box, you're you're gonna play like a last place team. So I didn't I, I didn't like putting Winkowski in there. 
And I just feel like the manager's asleep at the wheel. I think at this point, he's just going through the motions of a very familiar last place season. Micah. The first move of Hamilton not stealing, I agree, a bunt decision was very strange there. Um, But Hamilton didn't leave first base the entire inning. That was interesting. Like, why not steal him when Verdugo's up? Or at least when, you know, um, Turner gets up, like, get him and try to get him in a scoring position. I don't think any Red Sox fan would have been like, oh my gosh, why are you stealing him? Like, everybody in the building was probably saying, why didn't he steal? At least try. You have to try to manufacture runs when runs have been so hard to, to come by with this offense. So I was surprised that. Hamilton didn't steal at all in the eighth inning. Um, going to the move for Winkowski, technically the move really should have worked because Wong had the pass ball and then Hamilton had the error. So really nothing on was Winkowski in that inning, but it really should have probably been Winkowski starting an inning fresh, like bringing him in with runners on base. Didn't love that. And um, the idea of, being creative that's necessary like what they're doing now it, it's not working so you know why save martin for the eighth or ninth and you're not going to get to him when the game's competitive like there's no reason to save him you know the game was on the line in that moment go to your best reliever and then you know what if it if you get out of that inning and you have a blow up in the eighth at least you had you got to the eighth and, and it mattered at that moment but you know saving your arms for you know, the eighth and ninth, it's not working with this team right now, at least on this current stretch. So I think you have to get creative. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to critique a move that in theory probably should have worked, but um, Winkowski right now, he, he needs a, he probably needs a, a low leverage, like the game's out of hand, give him three or four innings just to get right, just to see some confidence um, you know, because it, it's been a tough stretch for him for sure. Yeah. The in-game stuff is definitely worth questioning with core. It, it's, it's either that he's overthinking it and making a weird move or he's asleep at the wheel and he's not pinch hitting what he should, or, you know, he's, I don't know, he, he's bringing in the wrong reliever for, for high leverage situations. Um, the, the bigger problem I have with Cora is like I talked about earlier, the, the development of the young players. So, that's obviously a key for the organization this season. They really want the young guys to develop. So Tristan Casas in game one had three hits. And this is a guy who they've been waiting for him to wake up, you know, especially at the plate. You know, it's weird. Like he woke up at the plate, but now his defense is slipping. But in a way, you'll kind of take that because you want him to really get going offensively, especially with the way the rest of the offense is going. He has three hits in game one. And then because you're facing two lefties in games two and three, he sits both games. Like, why? It, it's it, like, it, why is Cora so afraid of letting Tristan Costas face left-handers? And same with Jaron Duran, like we talked about earlier. The kids aren't going to develop if you don't let them. And it's like Cora's just managing scared because, I don't know, maybe he feels like his job's on the line or something like that. But he he does not want Tristan Costas facing left-handed pitching. And if I'm the organization, if I'm high in bloom, I'm kind of looking at that going, um, that's our top prospects that 
a lot of people are banking on, including us. Um, he needs to be able to hit left-handers because eventually we do want him playing every day at first base. So why are you benching him? He had, you know, again, he had a great game in game one. Like, why bench him after that? It just doesn't make sense. Um, and the same with Durant. Now, the Durant thing may be because, you know, Adam Duvall was paid $10 million and maybe the front office is telling him, uh, Duvall's got to play. You can't just sit him because, you know, as good as Durant has been, you've, you've got to get this guy playing. So maybe that's the reasoning there. But some of the lineups, I just, I don't know, I really question. And I don't know, he just looks like a manager who's kind of lost. You know, I don't think that him and the GM see eye to eye at all. Um, I think the core is very much a he wants to win now kind of guy. I also think he's a little bit of a front runner of a manager. You know, when things are going really well and the team's playing well, he's the perfect manager because he'll keep everyone in a good mood and, you know, he gets guys fired up and he gets the most out of them. When things are going bad and the Red Sox are digging themselves a hole, Cora doesn't have that extra special something to help dig them out. He just, he hasn't shown it yet. So I don't know. I, I don't know if like he's long for this team. If the plan is that we're going to you know focus more on development and we may not, you know, contend for the playoffs for another two years or something. I don't know if Cora is going to be on board with that. So I, it's something to keep an eye on because it's definitely been a weird season for him. And it, it just hasn't, it hasn't felt like the vintage Alex Cora that we're used to. feels like he's just kind of any other manager at this point, you know? So with that, Oh, Mike, did you have something to say? Sorry. Yeah, real quick. Um, I get, with Braxton Garrett, that would have been the guy I probably would have let Casas um, face just because he doesn't have explosive stuff like Lizardo. Um, lefties are hitting 224 against Garrett, and righties are hitting 253. So there's not a crazy split there. And I, I, like you said, he's probably was the hottest hitter going into um, Wednesday night. To me, that's a guy that you, you probably know he's going to draw a walk or two just based on his eye. Like, give him a shot and see what he can do. And I, I thought Wednesday's game was the perfect opportunity to do it. I would not have played him today against Lozardo. I don't think any lefty other than Devers probably I would have felt comfortable getting a, a hit against him. But Garrett, he throws 90 to 92 miles an hour. Give him a chance. That was the that was the matchup I thought um, Casa should have should have started. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of a mystery on that one. Terry. And I think I've mentioned this before, but you talk about Cora's relationship with Bloom. I mean, look at 2018 and the team he had. And whenever there was a need, you know, Dombrowski took care of it. You know, he needed another starter. Okay, well, here's Nathan Avoldi. Uh, Hanley isn't really gelling well. His personality is a little weird. Okay, here's Steve Pierce, and, and Hanley's gone now. Um, the, Brazier was kind of a good score at the time, pitched some high leverage there, uh, you know, going down the stretch, but uh, in 2018, just for the record. Um, but so, you know, that was Cora's first year you know managing the Red Sox and then look at how sad it's been <laughs> since like nothing his 
Nothing gets addressed. He's constantly winging it. Um, he doesn't have pitching ever. So, I don't know. It just he must really miss uh, the Dombrowski era. I would think. Yeah, well, that that's why I sort of labeled him as a win now manager, and I wonder if he's kind of looking around, going, "This isn't going to be a win now situation for a while." I don't, I don't know about this. So, what you're saying is he'll be managing the Mets next year? Uh, wouldn't shock me. Yeah, wouldn't <laughs> shock me. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but he wasn't the worst of this series. There's one guy that stood apart from the rest. And he comes in at number one on the list, and that's my guy, Garrett Whitlock, who just pitched awful in the series debut, only made it four and two-thirds, six earned runs on 11 hits, gave up a couple of bombs. He did have six or seven strikeouts as well, but he just looked so vulnerable and so hittable in that game. It was not the Garrett Whitlock we've seen the past few starts where he's looked really good and really efficient, you know, going deep into games and um, just really, you know, dominating for the most part. But Miami was not fooled by him that, you know, anytime he went to the soft stuff, the changeup or whatever, they were crushing it. Um, so they were not fooled. They, they had him picked and, you know, this is why I struggle with Whitlock. This is why I struggle to really say, yes, he should be a starter. And, you know, for a couple of starts, he was making me look like an ass because I've been saying, you know, from the beginning of the season, I want him in the bullpen. I want him back in the back end of that bullpen because I thought he was just so good there. And, you know, he gets hurt again at the start of the year, comes back, um, you know, had a couple of shaky starts at first, then really started to hit his stride. And then you get a clunker like this. And it's just it really makes you wonder, like, is he ever going to string it together consistently to prove that he belongs in a starting rotation? Because we've seen pitchers go on stretches like that before where they have, you know, three to four good starts and okay, wow. Yeah, this guy looks great. And then hitters figure him out and boom, he drops off the table and that's that. Um, In this league that happens all the time. So I'm still not sold. And, And I was very close. His last couple of starts, I was like, Oh boy. I may have to like issue an apology tweet or something because I don't know. He's, he's making me look bad. I'm glad I didn't though, because this Miami start was just everything I was worried about. He doesn't, his stuff's not electric. Like Bayo's stuff is electric. You know, Chris sale at his prime was electric. Whitlock has good stuff and has good pace and generally has good command. But when he doesn't have the commands and, you know, it's, he, he just gets tattooed. So, I, again, I'm still not sold. We'll see if he bounces back his next start. Um, but, you know, this is one of your young guys that was supposed to develop this year. This was supposed to be someone you could point to and say, well, if the Red Sox don't make the playoffs, at least Garrett Whitlock took a big step forward and looks like a frontline starter. If he keeps having clunkers like that, that's another thing that you won't be able to count on. You won't be able to say later on in the year. And that's a problem. So bad start for him. Like I said, hope he picks it up and and figures it out because they do need him to develop. They absolutely need it. Um, But I just don't know if it's ever going to really come to fruition. Micah thoughts on Whitlock. 
Yeah, the the start against Miami, I mean, he did not miss many bats. The 11 hits in less than five innings is was concerning because that's just a lot of contact. Um, but what was driving me nuts on uh, when he start Wednesday night? No, it was Tuesday night he started. What was driving me nuts was fans kept well that's two bad starts in a row. The Minnesota start, like he was fine. It was an okay start. This start was bad. But it's driving me nuts, the the back and forth. Oh, he's a starter now. Oh, he had a bad start. Now he's a reliever. Like, pitchers have bad outings all of the time. The best pitchers have bad outings all of the time. And he's not an ace. He's not going to be a number two. He's probably a three or a really good four. That's probably his ceiling. Okay? Threes and fours have bad starts. That's okay. And I just this this back and forth, you know, when he's developing, yeah, he's 27 years old, but he's never pitched as a starter for a full season. He's going to he's gonna go through growing pains. I think Brian Bayo has more career starts than Garrett Whitlock does in the rotation. Just to give you a, a, some perspective on how young he is as a starter. Um, you know, his stuff isn't as electric. I agree. But he's two, or, or he's going through you know the order multiple times with five, six innings, and it's not going to be as good. But the, the the back and forth is driving me nuts. Give him a full season, and let's see where we are in in August or September with Garrett Whitlock as a starter. Um, and one last thing, I saw a couple of fans that were just saying, "Put him in the bullpen now. Put him back in the bullpen. There's no reason to to see if he can start." Those fans just – I do not understand those fans at all. They are driving me crazy because how can you honestly make an argument that this team would be better with Garrett Whitlock in the, in the bullpen? I have no idea. Like, who's going to start these games if you move Whitlock to the pen? Like, he may, be a, he may be a reliever. That might be where he is at his best. But for the current state of this Red Sox team, he should be starting. They should be trying to see where he is. Um, can he start? Because that would be where he would be giving this team the most value based on his contract, if it's possible. Um, but let's evaluate it at the end of the year when he's had 20 starts, 22, 23 starts, whatever it ends up being, then evaluate him. But the, the, the analysis from start to start and going back and forth, it is driving me insane. I just can't take it. Terry. Yeah, I mean, you already have Caleb Ort starting every fifth day or Justin Garza in that slot. So who's your other opener going to be if you move Whitlock into the pen? I mean, you've made your bed this year as far as what you're doing with him. Now, if we have a drastic offseason and, you know, and he doesn't pitch well the remainder of this season, you can have a conversation about uh, possibly putting him in the bullpen. But I I was curious to see uh, how he was going to pitch against the Marlins because in his previous start against the Twins, also not great. Gave up eight hits, four earned runs, a lot of hard contact. There were a couple of balls that, that could have went out, uh, you know, if the conditions were a little bit different. You know, they were basically going to the warning track. So... 
Um, labored through that. I was wondering if this Miami start could be perhaps a bit of a bounce back, but seems like the rest of the league knows how to, you know, they know what he's doing with his changeup specifically. And, you know, they're sitting on it and they're crushing it. And he threw, I can't remember, it was eight or nine of them in the first inning. And then he stopped throwing it. He just stopped throwing it. Uh, and he basically got buried right away, um, struck out, uh, actually a rise in, in the very first at bat of the game. I'm like, well, that's a good start. You're, you're, you're striking out 2023 Ted Williams. Good, good start. And then uh, Jorge Soler, who's having a great season all of a sudden, uh, you know, hits a single. And then Brian De La Cruz, admittedly, not super familiar with him. He sends one over the fence. Uh, you know, they were up 2 nothing. Jazz Chisholm, uh, who had a very good series uh, against us, hit a double. Garrett Cooper drove him in. So he's down three runs right away, first inning. And it just wasn't a good start. So the league has kind of figured him out. He's going to have to make his adjustments now and, and see if he can kind of right the ship and, and, you know, get a step ahead of, of the guys in the batter's box. And, and I hope he does it. And I don't, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, whether he's a starter or a reliever. I haven't really made up my mind yet. I'd love for him to be like the next John Lester type guy. I think he could be a number two. I think that's what he was pitching to, um, you know, for, uh, I don't know, uh, a run of what six or seven starts he very solid and you know was was you know giving the Red Sox a, a good chance to win those games so it's a blip we'll we'll see what happens um I'm I'm also a skeptic on his durability I mean he's had some injuries a, a wide array of them. I mean, just doesn't seem to be, maybe it's genetics. I don't know. He just doesn't seem to be a very durable guy. I mean, we're going through it with Chris Sale. We went through it with Clay Buckholtz uh, his whole time here. He was in the booth, by the way, uh, for, I think it was a full inning. It was nice to see him. And I don't, I think we were kind of mean to him on the way out. Uh, and I, you know, I feel a little bit guilty about that. And, he hasn't really been back, so maybe he, you know, remembers it, you know, very unfondly, I guess, if that's a word. Um, but yeah, so uh, wasn't a good start. And if you don't have, I mean, we're we're done anyway. I think we're dead in the water, but you're you're definitely dead in the water if um, Garrett Whitlock is malfunctioning. It's just, it's going to get uglier. And we're going to do the series preview, and that'll be uh, later on in the day for the listening audience. Uh, and uh, James Paxton's start, a little bit up in the air. Uh, Brandon Walter scratched from his start tonight, so perhaps he might be starting for the Red Sox or, or long relief, as they like to do it. Uh, you know, pitch your trashiest reliever in the first inning for no reason, and then, uh, you know, let your prospect come into the game. Um, so, man, this rotation. How got unlucky, but he could have got hurt some other way, right? 
I mean, he's he's not a durable guy either. Had back surgery, had elbow inflammation the year before that. Missed a month or two. Um, Sale, I guess Sale's going to be throwing long toss again. So I don't know what that timetable is. A month maybe at the best case scenario, he could be back in a month. I don't know, probably six weeks. This rotation, man, it's so bad. Yeah, it's rough. And that start uh, on Tuesday night, you know things are going bad and you're not hitting your location when Gene Segura, who came in uh, hitting under 200 with just one homer on the year, hits an absolute moonshot off Whitlock in that game on a hanging slider that was, I mean, little leaguers could have hit that over the monster. So um, it was, it was rough. And just to clarify, I, I, so I've always said from the start, I'm not sure about Whitlock. I, I think I prefer him in the pen that said for right now, absolutely. Like he should start the rest of the year. I agree with you, Michael. Like I don't like, you know, you don't give up on him on just a couple of bad starts and put him in the pen. Um, I want him to have the full season. Let's see where he is at the end of the year. If his ERA is still over five and he's inconsistent and maybe gets hurt again, then yeah, sure. Put him in the pen in 2024. But yeah, I, I agree. You you have to you have to ride it out with him and you have to hope that he figures it out and develops because that would be so huge for this team going forward and for the team's future. So we'll see what happens. We'll we'll hope that he uh he figures it out. So That'll wrap it up for us. Um, as Terry mentioned, we're going to have our series preview show coming out later in the day. We're going to preview the Toronto series. Red Sox are back on the road, back in Canada, um, hopefully away from all the wildfires and not having to deal with too much smoke up there. That's nasty, too. Um, so take a look out for that, and we will see you guys then. Take care. <laughs>